We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Good morning. What a joy to see you guys uh, today. How's everybody doing? You awake? You had your coffee? Your chorizo? Cool. Well, let's open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. As we begin a new letter today, a new book in the Bible, one of my favorites actually. I'm going to tell you guys something and I hope it doesn't come across as boasting because in the end it, God really humbled me. But there was a time in my life, I used to work at Vaughn's and uh, I memorized the whole book of 2 Timothy. Can you believe that? So I, I would uh, like be putting up apples and pears and potatoes, and I had my little index cards there. And I just, man, it, it took me a long time, but eventually, you know, I, I memorized it. And because it's one of my favorite books, if not my favorite. Uh, but then uh, I got old, <laughs> and uh, I forgot, you know. I, and so what I would encourage you to do is to to take the verses, the passages that you've memorized, and uh, you guys heard that saying: if you don't use it, you lose it. It's true, and so I'm going to try to get back into that. Memorizing scripture is a blessing. How many of you here like to read other people's mail? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> Every once in a while, we'll get letters from our neighbors or even uh, across the way right here, and I'm kind of tempted to open it up. I'm just curious, or maybe it's a note to that person, and somehow I came across you know, your path, and you know, where there's that temptation to read it. We're going to read a letter today that was written from Paul to Timothy. And it's a very personal letter. But the cool thing about it is that in God's kingdom, it was also written to us. And so we don't have to feel weird about it. But it's, a, it's an awesome letter. Uh, as we go through this letter, we're going to see written by Paul the Apostle to his son in the faith, Timothy. It was written probably about the year A.D. 67. It was shortly before Paul's death. Before we dive into it, though, I want to give you guys just a little bit of context of consideration. This way that when we go through the letter, uh, we'll be able to understand it uh, a little better. You know, one thing to take into consideration is the setting in which Paul was writing the letter. And he wrote it from prison. He wrote it from prison. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord our God, nor of me, his prisoner. And so he's in Rome, uh, he's in a prison, it's a dungeon, and, uh, and yet he calls himself not the prisoner of Rome, but the prisoner of the Lord. Uh, if you go over to chapter 2, you'll notice something about this prison cell that he's in. In verse 9, he said, For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. You know, the other day I was giving my dog a haircut, and uh, we actually babysat another dog. Well, that one we call babysitting, huh? Dog sitting. And, uh, you know, just little things like this, it makes you think, what if these dogs get out, and they, you know, you know, run down the street, and they're forever, you know, gone. And so have you guys ever seen the, 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 sometimes they'll leash them up on a chain, huh? And, and, you know, you think of that, you know, keep them safe or whatever for a dog, but how about for a person? chained. That's where Paul was. That's where he's writing this letter from. And uh, it's not like the last time. When you read in the book of Acts chapter 28, Paul was under house arrest. 
And so he was able to have visitors. He was able to have fellowship. They just kind of confined him more or less to his living quarters in his house. But this time it's completely different. We see he's a prisoner. We see that he's even a man in chains. What had happened was Paul was released from his first Roman imprisonment. And then he began to resume his travels, teaching, preaching, and planting ministries all around the world. Uh, again, this imprisonment was much different than his previous house arrest. We read about in Acts 28, verse 30. This was what we call his second Roman imprisonment. And he wasn't enjoying the freedom and comfort of his own house as he had previously, as John Stott said. Instead, he was incarcerated in some dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling to provide his light and air. So that's where he is. That's where he's writing from. You know, I don't know if you guys ever went looking for a prisoner. Have you ever done that? You heard somebody's in jail. Uh, you don't know where they're at, but you know that they're arrested. Uh, if you go online and, and, and sometimes if you make some phone calls, you can find out where the prisoner is located. And, and it's kind of cool. I would encourage you to do that. If you know somebody is incarcerated, they might need some funds or, or they might need a letter, a word of encouragement. Paul was in such a place it, that, that in, in Rome, in prison, that he was very difficult to find. And so we're going to see later this guy Onesiphorus. He went searching and searching and searching and searching diligently, and he finally found Paul. That, that's where Paul is at now. He's writing this letter from prison. And then secondly, Paul knew he was about to die. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, it's right there. It's at hand. I can, I can reach it. I'm just about to die. So that, that's where he's writing from. And that context is very important as a Roman citizen, uh, he would have the, the, the luxury of just getting his head cut off. It wasn't going to be as bad as others. But, um, you know, he knew he was about to die. And so, you know, God had revealed it to him. Now, that's an interesting thing because previously, when you read, for example, in the book of Philippians, Paul was in prison. He wasn't really sure what was going to happen, but he was more inclined to believe that he was going to get out. Uh, um, and, and, you know, it makes you wonder, well, how did Paul know for sure this time that he was going to die? Well, God had shown him. You know, God had shown him. And God can do that. You know, I was uh, recently, I, I shared with you guys before uh, about Daddy Fidel, who went home to be with the Lord. One interesting thing about him is uh, this guy, I, I really believe he had a, a pretty close connection with the Lord. And four days before he, he died, he told his daughter, I'm going to die in four days. And I, and I was like, we, we know I was talking to Al about this, talking to his daughter about this, and I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. You know, and sure enough, four days later, you know, he, he died. The Lord showed him. The Lord can show us. You know, not that, you know, you guys, some people are, what do they call them, uh, hypochondriacs or whatever. I'm going to die. You know, they tell everybody I'm going to die. They're just messing, you know. But when the Lord shows you, Paul knew he's about to die. After 30 years of ministry, he knew he was about, he was about to die. 
But it wasn't death. Notice again right here in verse 6, for I'm already being poured out. Look at how beautiful this is. It's a drink offering. Isn't that cool? I'm, I'm being poured out now as a drink offering. Isn't that beautiful? And the time of my departure is at hand. See, when we die one day, most of us are not going to know I'm going to die Tuesday, or I'm going to die in four days, or I'm going to die, you know, next month. Most of us are not going to know that. For most of us here, boom, it'll just happen. It could be a car accident. It could be a heart attack. It could be an aneurysm. It could be a stroke. None of us know when. Paul knew, but when the Christian dies, it's not the end. It's just a departure, right? And we're going to see this as we go through here. It's the same Greek word used for when a camper breaks down his tent and goes home, or when a sailor lifts up his anchor to sail home, or when a prisoner is set free. See, that's what death is for the Christian. Paul here was in prison. He was in the dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for air and light. He was in chains. Paul here was ready to die He's just right there, you know. And, and when you're there, you know, one day, and you get older, and we're closer, man, what goes through your mind? Paul here is this, we're going to see the context is so important. One of the things that's interesting about this context, the third thing to take into consideration, is that many had turned away from the faith, and others would follow their lead. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And so Paul had spent his whole life preaching the gospel, wanting to build up the faith and tell the whole world about Jesus. Uh, now he's in prison, now he's about to die, and it's, it seems like now, of all times, everybody's turning Away. Now, Asia is right there in Ephesus. It's where he did his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and all these beautiful churches that he had established and planted and built up. They had all turned away. Kind of like the, the, the context of today, the world that we're living in today, there is just an apostasy. You know, there's an apostasy of people that are really sold out and surrendered, completely committed to the Lord, now I think that more people are one foot in the church, one foot in the world. Their heart is half for God and half for you name it. And it's just like there's an apostasy because when that person becomes a parent, the half-hearted parent, how are they going to pass the faith on to their kids? And what happens to the generation after that? It's just a, it's just a crazy time when you really think about it. And Paul is saying, this is what's going on. People are turning away, and others would follow their lead. Look at chapter 4 in verse 4. And, you know, the, the time will come, he says in verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You know, Paul is talking about how the time would come. People didn't really want to hear the word. No, I don't want to really hear the word. And tell me something funny. Tell me something, you know, a little emotional. Uh, stir me up in a different direction. Give me a positive message. I don't just want the Bible. The time would come like that. Their ears were itching. They'd make, you know, teachers for themselves. And so he says in verse 4, And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
See, I think it's important to establish the context of the letter to know that Paul's in prison, not just to house arrest, but he's in a dungeon, to know that Paul's about to die, and thirdly, to know that it seemed like the, the Christian church was turning away, and it seemed like there were others that were going to be turning away. That's where, you know, Paul was just, you know, he's thinking these things. His preoccupation in writing to Timothy was with the gospel, the deposit of truth, which had been revealed and committed to him by God. John Stott said the apostle's own career of gospel work was virtually over. You know, for 30 years or so, he had faithfully preached the good news, planted churches, defended the truth, and consolidated the work. But what would happen? See, here's the thing. What would happen now? What would happen to the gospel when he was dead and gone? You know, we know at this time the emperor Nero was bent on suppressing uh, the Christian church. He seemed bent on destroying it. Not only that, heretics appeared on the increase. There had almost been a total apostasy from the teaching of Paul. One guy, Mull, he's a real conservative guy, a real good teacher. He believed that from a human perspective, Christianity was on the verge of annihilation. Now we know that won't happen. The Lord will always have a remnant. But Mull was saying, you know, from a human perspective, things didn't look too good. They didn't look too good. And so, uh, Paul's in prison, number one. Paul's about to die, number two. Many had turned away and were going to turn away, number three. And then number four, here's the main thing. Timothy was to hold tight to the gospel truths. Look at chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words. Now, to hold fast means to hold fastened, hold tight. I mean, Timothy, don't... Don't let this go, this pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. We see the same thing over in chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun, shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like what like cancer Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort so he's just saying you know hold fast to these truths Timothy because you know um, these guys are going to come in and they're going to introduce things that are going to produce poison in the church you have to be so careful and for us we have to be so careful just because you hear it on the radio or you read it in some so-called Christian book or that person's popular you know, you always have to test it according to the scriptures. We read over in chapter 3, look what it says in verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, but you must continue in the things which you have learned from whom you have learned them. And from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, you'd be surprised. You know, just because that building over there has a cross on it, it doesn't mean that it's right on. Sometimes they, they preach a cross without blood. They, they preach a message without, you know, calling you to repent of your sins. Oh, they might have a Bible, but they don't really teach it. 
They don't teach through the Bible. You know, and so, you know, what Paul is telling Timothy is, uh, man, things are creeping in and it's so subtle. And you got to just kind of know the, the whole backdrop to the letter. Because, you know, and I think you guys know this, other than Jesus, I mean, who was more passionate about, you know, salvation? I think Paul, he was so passionate about the gospel. He was so passionate. You know, recently, I don't know if you guys saw this video, but this video went out, and this guy actually was on the news, Fox News, and, and different uh, channels. And uh, it was a man, uh, his, he's been married for 57 years. And from what I understand, uh, they had a great marriage, wonderful marriage, really, really loved each other. But the thing is, is that his wife was born with only one kidney. And so uh, she's doing okay, but until recently, her kidney is now failing her, and, uh, and they believe she's going to die. And so she's on the list of kidney donors, but her best chance is maybe to get someone, maybe to get someone who, who dies. If they die and, you know, she makes the list, then she might get a kidney donor, but you know, those types of donors, uh, the chances of her surviving are, are, are slim. And so, you know, what would you do if you were the husband? You know, I think most of us here would probably, like, we probably say, oh, you know, sweetheart, I'm going to miss you. You know, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, that everybody, I give you mine, but, you know, he's A positive, she's O something, but... You know, their, their, their kidneys don't match. But you know what this husband did over there in South Carolina? You know what he did? He got a sandwich board, and it's got a big sign on this side and a big sign on in the back. And it says, um, basically, my wife needs a kidney. And it has their phone number. And he walks every day throughout the city as a billboard to save his wife's life. And he's gone through this whole city. He's gone through this, the adjacent cities, just walking and, and, and just begging and pleading strangers because he loves his wife so much. Basically doing, doing everything he can to save her life. You know, and when I read that story and I, and I saw the video, I thought to myself, you know, that's a, a great story for husbands. It really is, you know, for wives, for us, you know. But also, you know, for Paul, that, that's who Paul was. He was a walking billboard. He loved God so much that that's really what it, all, it was all about. You know, sometimes I think we need a fresh vision of hell to know that that's what it's all about. You know, with my kids, you know, my kids are getting older now. My daughter, you know, 19, I can't believe it. That's crazy. You know, the Lord told me that he was in a rapturous before she got old. I don't know what happened with that. <laughs> you know, my son. And, and you, know, you know, one of the things that, that happens as, as you're living in America is you get, kind of get consumed with the, the being conformed to this world. And, you know, you're really worried about vocation and, you know, and, and material things, material things. And just the Lord really showed me 
they're more important than the material things and, and the vocation is the calling, the calling on their life, the calling. More important than knowing biology and sociology and you know, all those words, you know, math, English and all. Yeah, I guess they gotta learn that because they, you know, that, you know, but you know, is the Bible, that my kids would know the Bible, that they would know the Lord. There's a calling on their life. I don't know exactly what it is. I, my, I thank God that my, my, my daughter wants to be a mom and a wife, and, and I thank God that that's kind of where she's, you know, you know, focused. And my son, I tell you what, he loves the Bible. He loves the Bible. And he, you know, we, I learned so much from him about the Bible, about the Lord. I don't know what God's going to do with my son. But the Lord really showed me it's, it's, it's not the things that the world says it's all about. It's about the calling from God on your life. Paul knew his calling. It was to preach the gospel. It was so that people wouldn't go to hell, so that people would go to heaven, so that God would be glorified. He knew it. He just never, never, was never distracted from that. And so as he's about to die, he is consumed with this whole thing, now passing the baton to Timothy. And as we get into our study today, we're going to see that that was his desire. Timothy, hold tight to the gospel. You know, for over 15 years, since he had first been recruited in his hometown, Lystra, Timothy had been Paul's faithful missionary companion. It's not just that Paul had a strong affection for Timothy as a friend whom he had evidently led to Christ so that he could call him his beloved and faithful son in the Lord. It's also that he had grown to trust Timothy, his fellow worker, according to Romans 16, 21, and his brother and God's servant in the gospel of Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. You know, because of Timothy's genuine concern for the welfare of the churches and because of the loyalty with which, as a son with a father, he had served Paul in the gospel, Paul could go so far as to say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22, there's no one like this guy. You know, and he could have passed the baton on to anybody. And you would figure almost, well, you know, maybe someone, you know, a little older. Why is he picking a guy that's probably 35 years old? Because of Timothy's faithfulness as a son in the gospel. And so we're going to see as we go through this, it's going to be a challenge for Timothy. He was young, according to 1 Timothy 4.12. Again, mid-30s. Anybody here in your mid-30s? Just out of curiosity, you're young, just to let you know. Okay, according to the scriptures, you're young, right? And uh, Timothy was not all that healthy physically. You know, 1 Timothy 5.23 says he has frequent infirmities. Sometimes people will use these as excuses. Well, I'm too young, or, you know, physically I'm not that strong. You know what, be careful. Don't use those as excuses. Uh, and Timothy was also timid, and we're going to see that in... 1 Timothy, we read it. In 2 Timothy, frequently we read it. So this then was Timothy, young in years, frail in physique, retiring in disposition, who nevertheless was called to responsibilities in the church 
of God. Greatness, so to speak, was being thrust upon him, kind of like Moses and Jeremiah and a host of others before him who were reluctant to accept it. And, you know, then, you guys, we, we, I pray that we would get beyond that. You know, it's, it's not, you know, how, your age. It's not, you know, your greatness. It's just somebody who understands, somebody who loves God, somebody who loves people and understands the value of souls. And they're just willing to be available vessels. Here, my God, send me. You see, Timothy was to preserve the gospel, and he was to pass it on. You know, we need Timothys today. Are you guys willing to receive the responsibility of the gospel? And we need Pauls today, willing to work hard at preaching, preserving, and passing on the gospel to others. Why is that? Because all of mankind is in desperate need of Jesus. And so that's what it's all about. I pray, man, if you're older... Be a Paul. If you're younger, be a Timothy. Sometimes we're a little bit of both, but we need that. And so let's get into our text here. First, Second Timothy chapter 1. Notice what we read in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. We see, first of all, within the greeting, Paul's calling. Paul's calling. You know, it's kind of cool. Paul knew who he was, and Paul knew why he was. Because of God's gracious calling upon his life. You know, we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, something similar. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated separated to the gospel of God. You know, and maybe we're not all called to be apostles with a capital A, but we are all called. And God has different places for us in the church. But I tell you what, we are all separated, separated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul knew who he was. It wasn't that he was worthy. As a matter of fact, he was unworthy. He was persecuting Christians. He was, you know, just, just ripping things apart in the church. I mean, there was nothing about him that was worthy. As a matter of fact, I think probably one of the worst sins of all is not drugs and sex and on drinking and all that. I think, the, to me, the worst sin of all is self-righteousness. Pride. To me, that's like the ugliest sin, to be honest with you. When I see someone who's stuck up and self-righteous and looks down on other people, that to me is like the worst sin. That's who Paul was. He was like the worst. And God called him to be an apostle, separated him. So it was never like he earned it. It was God called him and God separated him. And, and so he knew who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. And I really want to encourage you guys to know the same thing, that, you know, know who you are and know why you are. I mean, and, you know, know your gifts. And we're going to talk about this as we go through. 
and, and just, man, use it for God's glory. Paul was called to preach to proclaim the amazing, notice what he says right here, promise of life. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it was by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. It's in conjunction with this promise of life. And I love that. I don't know about you, but I think that's a really cool you know, thing to read right there. You know, God has promises for us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it speaks of His exceedingly great and precious promises that have been given to us by God. Ephesians 3, verse 6, and Hebrews 9, verse 15 speak of the great promise. And this is the promise that's mentioned here. The promise of life in Christ. And we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, specifically it says, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. I mean, isn't that cool, you guys? I mean, I, I just think that is so awesome. I hope we all know deep, deep down inside as disciples and to the deepest recesses of our hearts that God will never, ever, God has made you and me a promise, a promise of eternal life. I pray you would know that, that that's what you have when you're a Christian. You read the same thing in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, because just in case you're thinking, well, I don't know, God might break his promise. We read in Titus 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. You know, have you given your life to the Lord? Have you exercised simple, solid faith in Jesus? If you have, it's so cool to know that he's made you a promise that you will live. That even when you die, you will live. It's a promise. It's all about the promise that God has given to us. So beautiful. Paul knew his call. He knew God's promise. And it's for that reason he writes to his dear son, his beloved son, Timothy, who needed to carry that promise to the next generation. You know, we read here in verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, and that's kind of, in one sense, it's a standard greeting. You know, grace oftentimes coming from the Greek culture and uh, peace, a shalom from the Jewish culture. You know, this is kind of interesting, though. I don't know if you guys knew this. This is kind of like a little trivia question. Um, Paul wrote probably 13 letters in the New Testament, okay? He wrote three pastoral epistles, okay? So 13 minus 3 is 10. All other 10 letters, all other 10 letters that Paul wrote, they just say grace and peace. Just grace and peace. Only the pastoral letters say grace, mercy, and peace. You know, and I, I know there's a lot there, you know, but I, I think that I was reading one commentary saying, yeah, because pastors, they really need a lot of mercy, man. They're all messed up. And we are. We mess up. That's what my wife says all the time. She said, the only reason he made you a pastor is because he knew you would never read the Bible. 
if you weren't. You know, it's kind of funny because I, I, uh, I, I'm a heart. I don't know how you guys do the, in this in this area. Some of you are really good at church attendance. You're so faithful. Others of you, you know, you you struggle. You know, you're hit and miss. Oh, you know what? They got to go to the mall today or whatever. And you know, and, I, and I'm like, and I wonder, you know, before I judge anybody, I mean, I, I wonder how I would do if I wasn't the pastor. You know, would I show up faithfully? I don't know. I, I do know that, that we need mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Anyways, Paul is writing to Timothy. Beautiful letter. Beginning, first of all, I think with his calling. He was emphasizing his calling. And, uh, and then secondly, we see his caring. His caring. Look at verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. We're going to see that Paul cared about Timothy. It wasn't just like, you know, because I know how this can be. You know, I've been on both ends, and God really makes me check my heart. And do you care about these people? You know, yeah, you want him to, you know, serve and, and do these things and, and all that kind of stuff. But do you care about them? You know, one of the things that you'll do if you care about somebody is you'll pray for them. When you care for someone, you pray for him or you pray for her. And that's what Paul says right here. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. It was out ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. You know, Paul was grateful for the work God had accomplished in so many lives. And he wasn't afraid to express that gratitude. The other day I went to the softball game, Friday night. It's Calvary Chapel Almani softball game. It was there at Dodger Stadium. No, I'm just joking. It wasn't there. <laughs> it was at Sierra Vista High School in Baum Park. But you know what? I had a great time. It was our first victory as a church. But man, talking to all the guys, talking to all the guys on the softball team. And I was just going one by one, boom, look at what God's done in his life. Look at what God's done in his life. Look at what God's, and I was just so, I mean, every once in a while as a pastor, I think you need that encouragement. You're like, wow. Look at what God's doing. You're so grateful. Paul was grateful. And underneath this verse, he was grateful for Timothy. He was grateful for Timothy. He really was. And he was grateful for the work God had done in many lives. And he was never, ever hesitant to express that gratitude. You read it throughout his letters. You know, undoubtedly, when he prayed for Timothy, he thanked God for Timothy. Ephesians 1.16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. You know, this praying is a vital part of serving God. Look again at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve. Now, the Greek word right there is the word latruo. And it's used in serving. It's different than doulos. It's different than other Greek words uh, translated serve like diakono. This is serving kind of like as a priest. Now, what does a priest do? A priest represents God to the people, so to speak, and a priest represents the people to God. See, and that's kind of what Paul is doing here. You know, not, the Bible says we're all priests. 
now as believers. We're all priests. So we can do that. We can tell others about God and we can take others to God in prayer. That's what he's saying right here. I thank God whom I serve. And now this service has an aspect of praying, praying for other people. Sacred service to God is ministry performed by believers through heartfelt worship and prayers. Now it's interesting, this is in the, in the, in the, in the Greek language, it's in the present tense. And so it emphasizes the continual, unbroken habit of life that Paul had in praying for Timothy. Paul was continually serving God in this way, constantly praying for him. And you know, you know, and, and, and when you look at the letters and you guys really read them, you find that Timothy had many flaws. He had many weaknesses. You know, and I want to encourage you, when you see flaws in people, what does that do? What, what do you do? Do you back off? You're like, oh, they don't have it all together. Or do you maybe draw near and pray for them? Paul saw the potential in Timothy. He saw the flaws in Timothy. And he, he knew his weaknesses and problems. And therefore, he was able to definitely pray, even with a burden beyond the norm. You know, of course, if you want to pray effectively, you can't be in sin Paul knew God wouldn't hear his prayer unless he was right in God's sight. And so notice what again what it says right here in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. A pure conscience. And you know, you're praying for people, but you're living in continuous, repetitive sin. Nah, ain't no thing but chicken wing, right? God, you know, I, I love you, but God's not going to hear that, that prayer. We've got to be people who are trying, people who are shooting for the bullseye at least. When our heart is there, our prayers are going to be powerful. We have to serve God with a, with a pure conscience, right? This is that part of our heart. You guys know what the conscience is, right? You guys have seen Pinocchio, Jimmy the Cricket, right? You know, it's that, that given to all men actually created in God's image, Everybody who's, who's created in God's image, it enables us to distinguish between what is morally good and bad. It's actually a code written on our heart, according to Romans chapter 2, verse 15. As Christians, our conscience, however, is then further formed as it's informed by the Bible, right? As it's informed with God's word. And so Paul wanted his prayers to be powerful, so he had to be pure. He wanted clean hands clean heart, clear conscience, because he loved God and he wanted his cries to be heard for young Timothy. And this was always his heart. We read in Acts 23, verse 1, that he lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And in Acts 24, 16, he says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. You know, your conscience, and it's hard to tell, well, what is it, the Holy Spirit or my conscience? You know what, I don't think you necessarily always have to identify, you know, that voice, always. But when you hear that, when there's that, there's that conviction, you know, the Holy Spirit brings something up or your conscience is pricked. Man, don't ignore that. You know, and I, the Lord, He'll always show me things, always show me little things. Like it's real easy to, to have a conversation with someone you love 
and not give them your undivided attention. And the Lord has really, really caught me with that. Like sometimes I'll go home and okay, let's just say my daughter's exercising, my wife is on the computer, but my son, I'll just put it this way, is available. In other words, he's not engaged in anything, he's not doing anything. Okay, now I see that as an opportunity for me to be able to go and have heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my son. Have heart-to-heart -heart conversation with him. He's available, and I'm available, so I'm going to seize this opportunity. But then, you know, maybe my phone uh, goes off, or I get a, a, you know, for whatever reason, you get like a thought, you know, and then next thing you know, you're, you're not really having a conversation that's undivided with your, with your son. Because, you know, you're worried about your phone, or you're checking your phone, or whatever, I don't know, whatever the other distractions are. Maybe, you know, you're watching TV, or you're going through the coupons, or I don't know what it is. And so, anyways, I'm just telling you an example of, for me, like a little conscience, like the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Your family is worth more than that. Your son, your daughter, your wife, when you talk to them, you talk to them. I don't know. I don't know. The Lord will show you different things, you know. You get a little extra honorarium here, and then your conscience says, well, did you tithe from that? Did you give to God what belongs to God? Listen. You don't want your conscience to be seared. You don't want your conscience to be violated. The more you, the more you ignore that voice, the more difficult it will be to hear that beautiful conscience, that wonderful spirit that you have. And so Paul is saying, you know, I'm praying for you. I care for you, and so I'm praying for you. And I know that if my prayers are going to be powerful, then I can't be living in sin. I have to make sure that my conscience is right. Again, look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Notice he says, as my forefathers did. As my forefathers did. Now you wonder, well, what's that all about? As my forefathers did. You know, it's interesting that he brings this up. Um, more than likely, this statement is to be understood to mean that Paul thought of Judaism in such close connection with Christianity that its present worship of God is, in a sense, a continuation of his own Jewish worship. And there's a lot of truth to that because Christianity is not like, you know, coming out of nowhere, like, you know, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or all these other, you know, things that are out there that are not true. Christianity is the completion of Judaism. When you read the Old Testament and you read about the Messiah that was coming, you know, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that Jesus was coming, the Savior was coming, you find that that's exactly who Jesus is, this Jewish carpenter, you know, the Savior. And so, you know, that's who we are. Um, and that's why sometimes you see some uh, messianic churches. Uh, we don't celebrate the Sabbath. We don't keep the law anymore. But Paul was saying, this is who I am. I serve God you know, as my forefathers did. Same promises. I'm clinging to them for myself. You see, we see first of all Paul's calling. And then we see secondly Paul's caring. When you care for someone, number one, you pray for them. You pray for them. Number two, when you care for someone, 
You want to see him. You want to see her face to face. You want to. That's what we read in verse 4. He says, greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. And that's who Paul was. And we're going to see as we go through our letter that he really wanted to see Timothy. Look at chapter 4, if you would. In verse 9, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Get over here. You know? Look what we read right here in verse 21, same letter. Do your utmost to come before winter. I mean, he wanted to see him face to face. He's writing a letter, you know, and he doesn't just say, you know, write me back. He says, son, come. Come as quick as you can. I got this guy and he's going to take care of things there for a while. You come. I want to see you. I want to, I want to be able to, to touch you and talk to you. There's nothing like the face-to-face relationship. You know, today we live in an age of technology, and I believe we're suffering, you know, we're suffering, man, in the area of interpersonal relationships. Social media has made it possible to have hundreds of so-called friends, and at the same time, I think, have the potential to be friendless. Because we're not really having that interpersonal relationships. You know, we need to move beyond the phone-to-phone relationships, and we need to have face-to-face relationships once again. Because when you care for someone, you know, you want to see them face-to-face. And Paul really wanted to see Timothy. If he saw him, notice again there he says in verse 4, that he would be filled with joy. He would be filled with joy. Apparently, when they parted ways, Timothy was in tears, revealing his tenderness and revealing their closeness. You know? And I, and I got to be honest with you, when I was really thinking about this, because I know you can kind of jet through these things and, and you don't really ponder the points. But, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, Lord, help us to cultivate relationships, caring relationships, so that when someone departs, when we go our separate ways, when we say goodbye, they'll cry. Now, I'm not trying to to make you cry like that. What I'm trying to say is that we have to begin to make sure that we have relationships like that. You know, and this was very difficult for a leader to have with the people he aspires to lead. That's very challenging because most of the times when you're a leader, especially over a long period of time, you know, those who you aspire to lead, they may not want, you know, they, they may not, they may not have that type of affection for you because they see you in ways oftentimes leaders are not Christ-like leaders. Paul was a very effective leader, but there was also something about him that brought this out from the hearts of his co-laborers, friends, and family in Christ. We read something similar in Acts chapter 20, verse 37. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul and kissed him. Imagine that. You know, I'm afraid, you guys, that if some of our friends, family, and co-laborers in Christ were to depart, we'd celebrate. Oh, I'm glad they left. I'm glad he left. Why? Because somewhere in here, we're not really cultivating 
genuine, caring relationships. You know, it says something about the people that we are and the relationships that we have. And so we see Paul's calling, we see Paul's caring, and then we close with, with Timothy's calling because this is where he wants to, to bring this out. In verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you, also and so the calling the calling on your life what are you supposed to be a pastor teacher evangelist missionary are you going to be a helper i mean you name it man there's all the different parts of the body none better than any other just the main thing is whatever your calling is you have to be faithful in it right where does it begin well it begins when you get saved we see first of all faith in god Paul knew that Timothy's faith was genuine. Notice again in verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was sincere. The word translated genuine means without hypocrisy, without impersonation, without pretending. Timothy was the real deal. And I say that, and I and I say that probably not just in the fact that he was really saved but that he was real. That he wasn't one person at home and one person at church. That he wouldn't have this type of conversation with his wife and this type of conversation with you know, the people at church. He was real. He was a sincere, genuine faith without hypocrisy, without impersonation, without any type of pretending. This is why, out of all the guys, Paul chose Timothy, because his faith, his faith was real. You know, and again, salvation, you know, and beyond. You know, some people you're just not sure whether they're saved, to be honest with you, right? I mean, you're like, you know what? It could really go either way, yay or nay. <laughs> they come to church. Sometimes they even serve in the ministry. But you're not like 100 percent sure that they know the Lord. Sometimes that happens. You know, I'm not sure how it's all going to play out in heaven. You know, but today, uh, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, imagine you're in heaven one day, okay? And, you know, you see your friend. Hey, bro, what's up? Haven't seen you in 10,000 years. Oh, yeah, how you been? Hey, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen him. Oh, you know, he didn't make it. You know, I don't know if that's how it's going to be in heaven, but imagine, you know, somewhere along the line, whether it's when you first get there or somewhere down the road, you find out that even though they went to church and they did all that stuff on the outside, they never really knew the Lord. See, Paul knew Timothy's faith was sincere, you know, and, and you know, for some, we just don't know. There are those out there whose faith is not genuine, it's not sincere, it's not saving faith. They're just going through the motions, right? And it breaks your heart. Real interesting psalm. Psalm 81 verse 15 says, The haters of the Lord would pretend, pretend submission to Him. But their fate endures forever. Are you a pretender? Are you real? You ask, well, how could this happen, Manny? Jeremiah tells us how this can happen. 
It's the account of Judah, the southern kingdom. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10, this is what the Bible says, Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. See, if you're here today and you haven't turned to the Lord with your whole heart, then you're like Judah, you're like the southern kingdom. And I tell you what, Babylon is on her way. You, you, you can fool people. You can't fool God. I just, I beg you, give up the sin. Let go of the sin because it will take you to hell. See, Judah, they, they didn't turn with their whole heart. It was just pretense. The word pretense, it's the attempt to make something that is not the case appear to be true. See, Timothy's faith is genuine. Paul knew 100% sure beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, and he had this faith in God that was due to his, notice right here, his grandmothers. I'll put it that way. Verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So Timothy's mother was grand, and his grandmother lived up to her name as well. They were both believers who poured the word of God into his life from a very young age. Watch, go over to chapter 3, in verse 15, he's talking to Timothy. It says, "In that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so what we find according to Acts chapter 16 verse 1 that Timothy's mother was a Jewish Christian. Here we read in 2 Timothy 1.5 that his grandmother was a Christian as well. Uh, more than likely Timothy's father was not saved. He was Greek and apparently an unbeliever. On the first missionary journey undoubtedly Paul shared Timothy got saved. That's why he calls him a son in the faith. On the second missionary journey, he picks him up and he takes him with him because he's useful in the ministry and the rest is history. And so, you know, that faith began with his mom, with his grandmother. And this is a word of encouragement to all the moms out there, all the mothers, all the grandmothers. And even if you're a mom here today and your husband is not saved, that was Timothy's background, right? Just pour the scriptures into their hearts. Live the scriptures for the sake of their salvation. And you watch what God does. See, Timothy had this faith in God. He also had a gift from God. Look at verse 6. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. Every once in a while, I'll get a cup of coffee. And I get my cup of, co cup of coffee, and I put honey in it. And every once in a while, I forget to stir it up, right? And so you take a drink. And some of you here, you might like black coffee. You're like, Manny, why don't you like black coffee? It tastes like coffee. <laughs> well, I just like a little honey in there, right? But what a difference it makes when you stir it up, when you stir it up. And some of you here today, you got the gift, but it's just kicking it on the bottom. And God is saying, you got a gift. Everybody here has gifts, 
You know, sometimes people say, why, I don't. Yes, you do. If you're a Christian, you have a gift. And what you need to do is you need, you need to stir it up. Paul reminded him to stir up the gift of God. The Greek word is actually comes from three Greek words. It's a combination of three Greek words. One of those words is fire. And so this is speaking of kindling, fanning into flame, perhaps a fire that's weak or dying. It speaks of stirring something up into a living flame. And for some of us, that's exactly what you need, you know? When you stir something up, it's not necessarily adding new ingredients. All that's necessary is already there. But the character of the content falls to the bottom and needs to be stirred up. You can tell when someone's stirred up, it's a beautiful thing. When you read in the book of Exodus 35, 26, talks about the woman whose heart stirred within them. Same thing in Exodus chapter 36, verse 2. talks about these gifted artisans in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom. And everyone whose heart was stirred, what happened? They began to then go and participate in the construction of the tabernacle. And that's what happens. Sometimes you see somebody, and man, they're here all the time. You know, I, I, I honestly, if I can say this, I think some people are looking for a way not to come to church. Oh, not today, or, you know, whatever. You know, I got to watch the cat. You know, there's different things, right? I mean, whatever, you know. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, uh, I've got a 94-point fever or whatever. You know, um, and I think other people are looking, they're just, I want to be there. I want to serve. It reminds me of Joshua and Moses. You know, Moses couldn't get rid of Joshua. He couldn't. Joshua would just stick to him, and he was always there. I've seen that in the ministry, where some people, they have been stirred up. And they're just, they're just always available. They're there. Others, they're not stirred up. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Man, you've got to stir up this gift that you've been given. We all have been given gifts, and one day we're going to give an account for those gifts. Matthew 25 talks about how we've been given different amount of gifts, right? And Luke chapter 19 says we have one life that we need to give to the Lord. Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Remember that. Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Don't take your gift, whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing in the kingdom of God, and bury it. Because if you do, one day you are going to be sorry. <laughs> and I say that to encourage you. Find out what it is. Discover your gift develop it, and then deploy it, right? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, Timothy had his calling. It began, first of all, with his faith in God. Secondly, with this gift of God. And then we close with this. Thirdly, by the Spirit of God. He says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear. Hmm. I know we ran out of time, and you're still, your tummies are rumbling, okay? So I'll try to wrap this up, man. I love you guys. But, no, I'm just joking. Huh? <laughs> um, fear is huge. Fear is huge. I almost want to say that you can, you know, you can do a dichotomy in the church. Those who are, who, are, who are messing up, somewhere in there, 
It's because of fear. And those who are doing well, because of faith. Because fear and faith are mutually exclusive. Do you guys remember that when you studied geometry? No, huh? <laughs> it means they don't intersect. Fear is huge. It gets in the way of so many things. You know, I, I was uh, giving my dog a, a, a haircut the other day. And uh, earlier in his life, he had been attacked by another dog. And ever since he got attacked by that other dog, he's, uh, he's, been, a, he's been a different dog. Um, ever since that happened, he'll even, he'll even bite me. He, I'm not, I mean, he doesn't draw blood or anything. But um, just certain things, they trigger. They trigger the fear. It's, it's just part of who he is. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to you know, give him a you know, haircut. He needed it really, really bad. He was a hippie dog for a long time. You know, and uh, just really gently working with him. And, and my wife asked me, how'd you do it? And I said, I said, I had to be so, I had to be so loving and caring and, you know, give him treats and, you know, oh, Chip, you don't worry, buddy. You know, real, real comforting, you know, the whole time. Took my time and this was a real long process. And that's how God is with us. Aren't you grateful that's the way he is with us? He's so gentle, so kind, so understanding, so loving. But... But you've got nothing to be afraid of. You've got nothing to be afraid of. See? And it'll hold you back, those fears. Paul here says, hey, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you take that and you, you meditate on that. The Bible says there is no fear in love, First John 4.18, because perfect love, or, or when you really understand God's love, it casts out all fear, right? I mean, for us as Christians, you know, there's power. Do you know the, the power, the Greek word is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite. I mean, there is power in our life, right? Power by virtue of its nature. You know, when we look at this power, we see in Luke 10.19, for example, Jesus said, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and so go look for snakes step on them scorpions pick them up no i'm just joking that's not that's not what he's saying he's talking about demons right i give you power over those demons right luke 24 49 acts chapter 1 verse 8 power when the holy spirit comes upon you you know power to do miracles Power for morality, which is another miracle, right? I mean, power for influence. I mean, you name it. God gives it to you. And he says right there, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So, man, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to preach. Don't be afraid to teach. Don't be afraid to step out. Don't be afraid to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Take your eyes off yourself, because if you keep your eyes on yourself, you will go nowhere, right? If you look at yourself, you're going to be depressed. If you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you look at the Lord, you're going to be blessed. Stay focused on Him. Don't be afraid. And remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a, a spirit of power and of love. And the last thing He mentions right there is of a sound mind. The Greek word right here uh, speaks of a calling 
to really moderation and self-control. It's interesting, you're thinking sound mind, but am I, am I mental, Manny? No, okay, it's not, it's not that kind of thing, but it, it kind of goes beyond that. The word is actually related to words like being sober and sobriety. Uh, those are words we often meet in the pastoral letters. Actually, a lot of commentators believe that self-discipline is a better translation of sound mind. And it describes a person who is sensibly minded and balanced, who has his life under control. The Amplified Version, which is a really cool version, it translates this, calm and well-balanced mind and disciplined with self-control. See, by the Holy Spirit, we can do these things. And so, Paul writing to Timothy, saying, hey, this is where it's at. Paul calling, Paul caring, and then Timothy's calling, teach us a lot about life. Let me just take you to one last verse, and then we'll close. Look at chapter 4 and verse 5. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, You be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. It's not easy. You're going to go through hard times and the enemy's going to try to hit you to knock you out of bounds, to knock you down. But you tell you what, whatever that ministry is, whatever that ministry is, I want to encourage you guys to fulfill it. To fulfill it. Like Paul, he was this man who had this calling that he completed he was a man who had a care for others that was just so awesome. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray as we continue to study this letter, Lord, that you work in us and that you use it truly. You know, you use it by your Holy Spirit. You'll take the word of God to raise up children of God who are even like God. And so we thank you for this working word. We thank you for your living word. And I pray, Lord, that you bless your people. Be with us now as we sing. And Lord, again, I pray for salvation to fall on anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord. Please help them to know that they need Jesus today. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, after we sing this song, you know, come up front and we would love to pray with you, give you a Bible and encourage you in a personal relationship with God. It's not a religion, it's a relationship that you need to, you need to embrace, you need to pray, you need to receive Christ. The Bible says many has received Him. To them He gave the right to become children of God. And so I would encourage you, don't leave without Jesus, okay? So that you can know that if you were to die today, and you probably won't, but you might, but if you were to die today, you go to heaven. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.